Hello and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest voxcasting either side of the breach. On this episode, we head to the Ten Peaks, where Victor Ramos is searching for an object of unimaginable power. But Tony Ironsides has been visited by Governor General Marlowe himself, and her loyalties are uncertain. I hope you enjoy the conclusion of Price of Freedom, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by Ten Peaks Outerwear. This month we have a special promotion on our winter parkas. Made from the warmest hawk hat fur, these soft coats are perfect for the bitterest December nights. Buy a hawk hat coat today and, for a limited time, receive a free ice pick and set of crampons. A deal like that is sure to warm your heart on even the coldest day. The ten peaks stood like broken teeth against an angry sky. Clouds swirled through their jagged heights, leaving trails of mist that drifted down into the tree line, rhyming the lowland hills. The road that cut up into the heights was gravel-lined and narrow, twisting back and forth on itself before disappearing into the clouds. The humble camp nestled beside the road. Scattered tents fluttered in the wind that cut down the mountain, Snowbanks drifting up their canvas sides until they were nearly hidden. Ramos paused at the camp's edge. The place looked abandoned. He signaled to the column of men and machines that followed him, calling the halt. Bloody woman, he mumbled, his voice lost in the gale. He noticed eyes watching him from the tree line and turned to face them. They were spindly little creatures, little more than an animating spark of magic forced into a mass of ice and given an approximation of free will. The ice garment huddled at the bases of the trees, peering at him with eyes the black of burning coal. Rasputina, show yourself. This the place, boss. Should we unload the rig? The crew boss asked. He was a big man, his arms bare even in this weather. Ramos shrugged deeper into his coat and shook his head. We still have miles to go, Hein. We're only stopping long enough to have a chat. If the woman is here, that is. He cast a glance at the half-buried tents. Rest for the moment, but be prepared for trouble. I'm here, Victor, Rasputina said. She emerged from the tree line like a ghost, the dark fur of her hooded coat frosted with snow. Her boots crunched through the drifting snow. Ramos made his way to her, lurching through the drifts, cursing when he sank into his thigh, the damp trickling into his boots. When he glanced up, he saw that Rasputina was smirking. He scowled, gathering his pride before crossing the distance. You are a difficult person to reach, he said, not even bothering to fake a smile. You might have pulled the snow back to make our trip easier. She shrugged, 
their expression unchanging, utterly unconcerned with his convenience. I thought you had taken your toys and finally given up on the idea of chasing down a fairy tale. I'm frankly surprised that you bothered to come back. Do you enjoy the fresh air that much? I never give up, Ramos said matter-of-factly. If need be, I will scour every cave and tunnel within and underneath these mountains until I have found the Soulstone Geode. Are you certain you can afford that, Victor? Her eyebrows rose, mocking him with her feigned concern. You're no longer president. You're not even leading the Arcanists any longer. You're just an old man wandering the mountains in search of something that doesn't exist. If you think I'm not still pulling the threads in those webs, you're far less cunning than I suspected. Ramos used his good hand to motion to the half-buried tents around them. Three weeks ago, a group of trappers coming through the Blind Iron Pass got lost in the mountains. Seeking shelter, they stumbled into a large cavern lined on all sides with soul stones. Most curious was the floor, which they described as some sort of frozen lake. Rasputina's smile slipped, but only for a moment. Are you sure they didn't make it up? A story to tell their friends, more interesting than one where they wandered through the mountains like idiots, lost. They told their story well enough, Ramos said. Especially the part where your frozen pets attacked their camp in an attempt to silence them. Two of their number still found their way back to Ridley, however. He regarded Rasputina with an accusing gaze. Of course I have my reasons to doubt them. After all, if you had discovered such a wonder, the very one that you know I have been seeking, it seems natural that you would have reported it to the Arcanists, instead of trying to cover it up. Rasputina sighed. What do you want me to tell you, Victor? The truth would be a good start. Ramos tugged the collar of his coat up to help ward off the chill. Or have you forgotten the things I've done for you? Rasputina pressed her fingers to her temple. You don't need to remind me of my debts, Ramos. I know. Do you? Because I'm standing in the middle of nowhere, scolding you like a wayward child caught in a lie. You've been leading me around by the nose for almost a year now. For what? So that you can keep the Soulstone Geode to yourself? Ramos fiddled with his cuff, adjusting the bulky sleeve as though it was a fine dinner jacket. Without me, Lilith would have killed you all those years ago. Without me, the Arcanists would never have accepted you into their ranks. You use our Soulstones, murder and eat our miners, and depend on our connections and our tolerance for your peculiarities. The most we get from you in return is bad weather and a poor attitude. The wind picked up, bending the trees that surrounded them, drawing the dark clouds that huddled around the mountain peaks down into the valley. Sudden cold prickled Ramos' lungs and took his breath away. Careful, Victor. We are not in your backyard, she growled. You know better than to threaten me, Ramos said. Do I? Interesting. Do you threaten Ironsides and Karis as well? Rasputina asked. The winds gradually began to calm, and the clouds filtered back into the sky. Or are they your loyal dogs? Cross me and find out, Ramos dared her. He hadn't so much as flinched at her display of power. Rasputina snorted, but her breath didn't steam the air. I won't kneel before either of them, Victor. I won't bow down before you either. She glanced back to the men behind him, 
all of whom had casually drawn pistols and axes and were doing their best to look nonchalant. None of them were a threat to her, but it was still enough to draw a tired sigh from her chest. Your cult isn't here, he pointed out, his voice lowering to a whisper. This isn't a challenge to your power, at least not yet. I intend to find the Soulstone Geode with or without your help, and I will flatten these mountains if I have to, and then you will see what a real challenge looks like. Rasputina stared at him for a long moment, her hands balled into fists at her side. Finally, though, she sighed and waved her hand in a dismissive gesture. I have enough enemies, Victor, and even fewer allies I can trust. She stared down the column, grimacing as she saw the bundled machinery. You are too dependent on your engines and machines. They won't help you retrieve the geode. Is it as large as I've heard, or is that just another tale? It is large, but that will do you no good. Even with all the power at my control, I could not pierce the ice out of that lake. She turned her eyes back to Ramos, looking him up and down. Go home, Victor. Go back to your workshops. Take the Union back from Ironsides. You are not made for this mountain. I may not be, but my engines are, he answered. He reached up, removed his glasses, and rubbed the snow off them. Are you done playing games? Will you tell me where this frozen lake can be found? If you are so determined to die on the peaks, I won't stand in your way, she said. Though go with this warning, Ramos. There is more power in the geode than even you can wield. A rare smirk appeared on Ramos' lips. I taught you everything you know about soulstones, but I did not teach you everything I know. Now, where is this lake? I will show you the way, but you and yours will go in alone, she said, turning to the camp and walking slowly to one of the tents. I want nothing more to do with that place. The Soulstone Geode was a beautiful, bitter place. A narrow crack in the side of the mountain led into the cavern protecting it from the worst of the wind, but also hiding it from the sun's warmth. The air was stale and frozen, so cold that it froze Ramo's teeth with each breath, frosting his lungs and sending shivers through his blood. He was wrapped head to toe in a thick fur coat, but it was no defense against this cold. He hardly noticed. The walls of the cavern were crusted with soulstones, sharp and bright glowing within a power that cast a bluish light through the chamber. On their own, the walls promised a treasure trove of large soulstones, enough to justify a camp if the conditions weren't so harsh. There were enough high-laid soulstones here to fund the arcanists for years, if not decades. Ramos couldn't have cared less about them. The real treasure lay below. At some point in the past, the broad bowl of the geode had flooded, freezing into a floor of iron-hard ice that glittered with the glow of the buried soulstones below. And somewhere, buried deep in that frozen lake, was a huge soulstone of incredible power. Ramos could feel it in his bones, 
a thrumming harmony of magical energy that called to his very essence. With that soul stone, he could power a whole city of constructs, maybe more. He wouldn't just be able to power his leviathan. He could make an entire fleet of leviathans. The possibilities were endless. If he could get to it. The way things were going, Ramos wasn't too optimistic about that. His hands tightened on the metal cane he was using to keep his balance. What is taking so long? he asked. His voice tense with frustration. The workers he brought with him were bundled against the cold, their thick gloves and padded coats making them clumsy. Every few minutes, someone dropped their tools or slipped on the ice, and it usually took longer for them to recover than they'd actually spent digging. It was infuriating. This cavern's no good, boss, Hein finally said. The crew chief was bundled up under a thick coat, and he pushed it back over his head as he shuffled over to Ramos. These are miners, not mountaineers. Put them in a tunnel, give them a shovel or an axe, and they'll cut stone until they drop dead. But up here, in this cold... Hein shook his head sadly. They're just not cut out for it. We've got the soulstone heaters, turned up as far as they can go, but they're just not doing anything to soften the ice or keep us warm. What about the drills? Ramos' desire for the geode was getting the better of him, and he let it show. Are they malfunctioning? The big man shrugged at the shallow bowl they'd managed to cut into the ice. The big machines lay discarded around the indentation, their boilers flickering and cold. Half the engines aren't working in this cold, and the other half are just seizing as they start to get going. We'll waste more time trying to get them to work than if we just did it ourselves. Better to stick to hand tools. Given a century to work and a hundred more men, you might be right, Hein, Ramos sighed. I have neither that kind of time nor that many workers. Get the drills running, man. With respect, boss, it's more than the cold, Hein said, his voice lowering. The men are spooked. They saw something under the ice. Something big down in the water. The only thing under that ice is the soulstone and their own graves if they don't get working, Ramos yelled, his composure finally slipping. I respect results, not excuses, Hein. Do you understand me? Sure, sure, Hein said, turning away. But all this yelling, boss, they don't exactly inspire the men. Ramos watched, quivering with rage as Hein returned to the workers. What made him more upset was that he knew the foreman was right. He was so close. So close. Frail flesh had disappointed him so often in the past. And now was the frailty of these idiots and their ridiculous superstitions keeping him from his goal. He should have cut them out of the process entirely. Replaced them with mining constructs that he could keep running at all hours and that wouldn't jump at shadows in the ice. For now, though, all Ramos could do was stand on the ice, shiver, and watch the mining crew disappoint him further. Except he wasn't shivering anymore. Maybe he was getting used to the cold. Or maybe... Victor Ramos as I live and breathe. The voice came from the shadows of the entrance. Ramos whirled in that direction, peering into the darkness. A spray of cinders danced against the stone. 
the deep red light illuminating the visitor's short, patchy red hair and scarred face. I find you in the most unusual places. Sonia Crid stepped into the light. Flames licked across the length of her greatsword, giving just enough illumination to reveal a cadre of witchling stalkers prowling behind her. Their masked faces twitched unnaturally, taking in the cavern, the geode, the work crew, and finally, Ramos himself. They spread out from behind their mistress, lurching forward like broken toys across the ice. Behind him, Ramos sensed the workers backing away, no doubt shocked to find themselves face to face with the leader of the guild's witch hunters. He smirked at the workers' fear and Crid's arrogance. Crid! Ramos shouted, loosening his collar to get a better view of the witch hunter and her companions. What brings you to this corner of the Ten Peaks? Convalescing in the mountains after your recovery. You don't seem the type of woman to holiday in the snow. It's always business between us, Ramos, though this particular business gives me an undeniable pleasure. Crid stood at the head of the trail that led down into the geode, hip cocked, one hand resting lazily on the butt of her revolver. Victor Ramos, you are under arrest for your involvement in the terrorist organization known as the Arcanists, and for various acts of illicit behavior, including but not limited to the willful destruction of guild property, the murder, premeditated and deliberate, of innocent civilians and law-abiding guild members alike, as well. I've heard this song before, Crid. Ramos stood with his back straight, hands resting comfortably on his cane as he regarded the woman with carefully practiced boredom. Your propagandists smear my good name in your newspapers. Your agents harass my honest business partners, and your pets follow me around like hungry puppies. You have no proof of your accusations. These are nothing more than wild fantasies intended to scare an old man. His eyebrows raised slightly, daring her to push him further. Unfortunately, what you continually fail to realize is that I do not scare so easily. Sonya gestured toward him with the point of her greatsword. Not for the first time, he privately marveled at how easily she handled such a heavy blade. I have no interest in scaring you, Victor. We've played our game for long enough, but now you're all out of moves. We have a witness this time, one willing to testify to all the crimes you've committed in the service of the Arcanists. She smiled and the flames illuminating her scarred face turned the expression ghoulish. At least the one she knows about. Either way, her testimony will be more than enough for a conviction, if we even get to a trial. For a brief second, Ramos' confidence slipped. He couldn't believe that anyone in the Arcanists would betray him this way, not after all he'd given them. Yet who knew he was here? Rasputina, obviously but there were few people she hated more than Sonia Crid, even among the Guild, who considered her a threat of the highest magnitude. Keris? No, she would have turned the entire city into kindling before being captured by the Guild, and in any case, anything she could have told the Guild about his activities would have damned her just as surely. Ironsides? Never. She hated everything the Guild stood for, and had made a career out of enforcing loyalty in the Union but someone had whispered in Crid's ear to bring her out to the middle of nowhere. That someone would pay once he got back to Malifaux. Covering his uncertainty, Remo scoffed. 
We both know that you're not going to arrest me, witness or not. If the Guild lifts even a finger against me, the MNSU will shut down mining operations all across Malifaux. You'll be starved for soulstones before the week is up, and with the situation back on Earth, that's the last thing the Guild can afford right now. He grinned wickedly. That is, if the riots don't tear Malifaux City to the ground first. Even if you murder me out here in the mountains, Ironsides will find out about it. You place a lot of faith in the Union, Ramos. But tell me, Crid said, sidling down the trail until she stood on the frozen lake. Who do you think told us where to find you? Ramos stared at her for a moment. It was a bluff. It had to be a bluff. You've made your threats, Sonia, but we have you outnumbered, and I doubt you're up to a fight so soon after your recovery. Crawl back to Marlowe and tell him that Victor Ramos doesn't answer to him, his guild, or his burned attack dog. Ramos drew a little power into his pneumatic arm, surrounding it in a field of crackling electricity. You can tell him yourself, though I doubt the statement will have as much impact once you're wearing a control collar. Cred nodded sharply to the witchlings. As one, the disturbing little creatures swarmed forward, blades and pistols drawn. Ramos motioned, drawing electricity into his fist and hurling a bolt of bright power into the closest stalker. The creature gurgled as bolts of light coursed through him, turning the ice beneath into steam and water. The witchling stumbled, fell to the ground, and exploded in a fireball that sent shards of ice in every direction. His companions rushed on through the smoke, unhindered by their fellow's death. Bullets whined through the air around Ramos, bouncing off the electrical shield he threw up to protect himself. As he fell back, Ramos cast a glance towards the workers. Hine, O'Malley, take care of the two on the left. The rest of you take the right flank, while I deal with Crid. A pair of workers stepped forward, hefting shovels in their beefy hands, but Hine's massive arm blocked them. Remember our orders, Hine said. The crew chief clenched his jaw and pushed the other two unionists back. This isn't our fight. Boss's word. Ramos reeled. Bullets pinged off his electrical shield, and he threw another lightning bolt at a stalker, forcing it to leap to one side to avoid death. I'm your boss, Hein. That is a direct order. Not any more, sir, Hein said, shaking his head sadly. Not any more. Ramos' heart fell clean through his chest, leaving a void as he realized the truth. Ironsides. It was her, after all. How could she possibly? A lance of pain stitched across his chest. One of the witchling's bullets had found its mark. Ramos' tunic was scarred, and a shallow wound welled with blood beneath the fabric. As Ramos watched, a curl of smoke puffed free of the wound, and then his chest erupted into witch-green flames. They roared across his arm, burning his coat and searing it to ash with alarming speed. He pulled himself free of the flaming garments as quickly as he could, tossing it aside before Crid could get a fix on him. Ironsides would answer for this, he swore. But first, he had to deal with Crid. By the time he had freed himself of the burning coat, two of the witchlings were nearly upon him, 
shoving his electrical shield forward to bowl the stalkers off their feet. The respite from their attacks gave him a chance to slip away. There's nowhere to run, Ramos, Crid called. She walked casually forward, ignoring the circle of union workers who stood around the edge of the lake, fuming to themselves. Your battle is over. Surrender, and we'll go easy on you. No yellow room. No execution. Just the rest of your life crammed into the smallest cell I can find. You have my word. Your word is worthless, Ramos shouted back, sending arcs of lightning through the air. The stalkers danced backwards as they peppered his renewed shield with arcane shot. You're the last person in the guild I would ever trust. Apparently you can't trust anyone. Crid raised her arm and sent a plume of twisting flame arcing across the melting lake. Ramos threw both hands forward, pouring all his magical strength into bolstering his repulsion shield. The wave of fire deflected off the shield and roared out to either side of him, reducing a handful of his erstwhile workers to ash and cooking the autodriller's boiler chamber. The engine cracked open like an egg, spilling metal parts and smoke into the low ceiling of the cavern. The blast rolled through the cavern like a tidal wave, sending the stalkers to their knees and surviving unionists behind whatever cover they could find. The autodriller's boiler showered metal parts down around it like burning rain, hissing where they landed on the ice, spotting the ground with pools of boiling water and flaming oil. Ramos stood in the middle of the chaos, the blast wave fluttering his wispy white hair. He couldn't keep himself from grinning. I can trust myself, Crid, he said coolly, and my machines. With a wave of his hand, Ramos drew electrical power into the air. Lightning danced across the ice, flickering into the wreckage of the engine, making the scattered metal dance and spin. The air in the room grew heavy, as Ramos forced his will upon the broken metal, bringing order to chaos, schematics dancing through his mind like lightning as he animated the lifeless metal. An army of mechanical spiders poured out of the wreckage and skittered forward to attack. You always put too much faith in your toys, Ramos. Grid lashed out, flames roaring through the air as they split into burning tongues and scoured the metal spiders, melting steel and boiling oil. But still the spiders came. The trio of singed stalkers lurched forward, snapping misguided shots at Ramos. The ruined bullets hummed off his deflection shield, casting sparks and leaving the stink of spent powder in the air. Ramos twitched his will and the first stalker fell under the scything limbs of his mechanical spiders. As it died, the witchling exploded in a fireball, dragging its murderers into death alongside it. The other two stalkers danced away and took advantage of the distraction to draw the shattered rune blades from their backs. Ramos caught the first stalker's blade with his steel hand. With a thought, he sent lightning up his arm and into the blade, though the bolts fizzled as they encountered the runes etched onto the sword's surface. He redoubled his efforts, and beneath his fingers the metal of the blade began to char. With an effort, Ramos twisted the sword aside, then smacked the stalker across the face with his cane, sending it stumbling backwards. Another bullet sang through the air, this one catching Ramos in the shoulder. He lurched back, and witch-green flames again sprang up his chest. The pain was intense, the sort of pain he had felt when he was forced to amputate his own arm. 
dark numbness began to spread through his chest. Gritting his teeth, Ramos threw his arm in the direction of the stalker that had shot him and drew magnetic power into the air. The creature would be on him in a heartbeat, but Ramos focused on one of the metallic spiders behind it. The soul stone embedded in the tip of Ramos' cane flared into brilliant light, then winked out. The spider's leg trembled for a moment. Then it lurched into the air, his magnetism spell drawing the machine toward him at intense speed. Ramos twisted it around in midair, ensuring that when it struck the back of the stalker charging towards him, its sharp blade-like legs were pointed the right direction. Blood blossomed across the stalker's chest, and Ramos threw himself to the side as it detonated into another fireball. The wave of a natural energy ripped through the last of his spiders, setting off a chain reaction of flame and shrapnel. Clouds of burning ash twisted up into the air, deafening the Unionists and forcing Ramos to shield his eyes. Crid's boots splashed through the shallow pools of melted water as she strode towards Ramos, flaming greatsword held across her shoulder. Most of her stalkers were dead, but she was unharmed, and Ramos was bleeding badly. She lifted her revolver with her free hand and pointed it at his head. You've run out of toys, Ramos, and out of chances as well. As I said, come quietly and we'll be gentle. Or don't. She drew the hammer back on her revolver and grinned triumphantly. Please resist, for old times' sake. Go to hell, Sonia. Ramos coughed, green flames still dancing along his chest. He gestured towards her with his pneumatic arm, sending a quick burst of lightning. Cred pulled the trigger as she dived to the ground, and the bullet bounced off the ice a half-inch from Ramos' nose. Ramos took the opportunity to scamper to his feet and take cover behind what little remained of the ruined drill. "'You have no idea what I'm capable of,' he muttered to himself, as he flipped open a compartment on his arm and removed a perfectly clear soulstone from a small space within. Drawing on the mystical energy stored in the crystal, Ramos channeled it into the drill." undoing its design and changing it into something far deadlier. He rapidly edited its design, melding experience and intuition together into something monstrous, mechanical, and vicious. Absorbed in his work, Ramos didn't notice that the witchling's fire hadn't gone out. It still licked across his shoulders, the green flames feeding on the arcane energy he drew from the soul stone, fanning to life as he tapped into greater power. It burned, and it called to Crid with its heat. Come out, Ramos. You can't hide forever, Crid shouted, and she climbed to her feet. Her eyes were upon the towering ruin of the machine which was pulling itself back together. No, not back together. It was twisting itself into some sort of mechanical death spider, its legs tipped with spinning drills and heavy plates of flame-resistant steel. Be with you in a moment, my dear... Ramos whispered. He pressed his hand against the mechanical creation, forming it with his mind as the energy flowed out of the stone, through him and into his death machine. It was nearly complete. In fact, Crid yelled as she stretched a hand toward him, you can't hide at all. The flames roared past the machine, twisting and spiraling around its bulky form in a way that shouldn't have been possible. Ramos stumbled backward in surprise and threw up another repulsion shield. 
but the flames curled around behind him and slammed into his chest, drawn by the green flames that haloed his shoulders. Ramos screamed as the pain reached him, collapsing his shield and dropping him to the ice. He reached toward the construct, focusing his mind, pressing his will against the metal, trying to finish the spell that might save him. A second blast of flame scorched the air, roaring over Ramos' unprotected body and drawing another scream from his seared throat. He slammed his steel fist into the iron-hard ice of the partially melted lake, his blood freezing even as it splashed across the dark surface. Ramos' eyes were wide open, shock gripping his mind. In front of him the spell collapsed, his construct falling to pieces even as Crid stepped around the burning hulk of the drill. Ramos stared down into the depths of the lake as his mind slipped away into darkness. Sonia marched up to Ramos and kicked him over. Blood smeared across his burned cheek, and his mechanical arm crunched loudly as it smashed into the ice. Sonia pressed the tip of her blade against the shoulder of his mechanical arm. The flaming metal burned away his already charred shirt, revealing the scar-puckered seam between flesh and metal. She wrapped both hands around the hilt of the blade and put her weight against it, driving it down into the unconscious man's body. With a shuddering groan, the metal arm tore free of its moorings. The blade's flames cauterized the wound, filling the cavern with a stink of burning skin. She kicked the arm away, sending it spinning across the ice. No more of that, old man. She pulled a soul stone from her pocket, knelt and pressed it against his chest, sending a flicker of its energy into his body. It was just enough to close the worst of his injuries and keep him from succumbing before she was done with him. No more, no less. As she knelt there beside him, a glimmer of movement from under the ice drew Sonya's attention. She frowned and looked closer, trying to get a sense of what it might have been. If the Arcanists were preparing another trap, then... She caught another glimpse of movement, and something touched her mind. It was infinite, alien, and full of hatred and rage, completely unlike anything else in the world. And yet it was also familiar to Sonya, in the way that one never truly forgets their darkest nightmare. She staggered back from it, falling onto her bottom and scurrying away as quickly as she could. Her eyes were wide with horror, and she stumbled as she regained her feet and retreated back to the cave's entrance. What was Ramos looking for in this cavern, she demanded of the workers, panic evident in her voice. What was he digging for? The workers exchanged worried looks. They'd never heard about Crid being frightened of anything, though seeing it in person. A soul stone, Miss Crid, that's all. She reluctantly cast another glance into the half-melted lake. Do not linger in this place. There are greater demons here than any of you can imagine. She snapped her fingers, drawing the attention of the remaining witchling as she pointed to Ramos. Tie him up and get him out onto the mule. I want to be down this mountain as quickly as humanly possible. The witchling pounced, moving like a disjointed bird, its gnarled hands strangely gentle as they trussed Ramos up and carried him from the cavern.
When the pair were gone, Hind let out a mighty sigh, cast a glance down to the clouded ice lake, and then tossed his pickaxe to the ground. Pack it up, folks, he called. We're done here. Tony sat in the Union Hall, watching as they hauled the last of Ramos' stuff down the stairs and out the door. The hall was quiet. There was a crowd of miners, but their usually boisterous atmosphere was subdued. They were all watching Tony without looking at her, without even acknowledging her. It was worse than before, somehow. It was lonelier. When the last scrap of Victor Ramos was gone... Tony marched up the stairs and into her office. It felt so empty now. Only the desk, its overstuffed chair, and the stool where Marlowe had sat to make his offer remained. Tony sighed and sat down. There was a newspaper on the desk. Left there by Claudia, she supposed. It was folded into a tight square, so that only a single story was visible. Tony didn't have to look at it to know what it said. The words loomed in her mind. She read them anyway. Terrorist leader captured. A shadowy group of dangerous criminals known as the Arcanists were dealt a crippling blow last week when their leader, Dr. Victor Ramos, was captured by noted witch-hunter Sonia Crid in the Ten Peaks. Dr. Ramos was previously associated with the Miners and Steamfitters Union, but was recently ousted from their ranks, possibly for the same criminal activity that doomed him. The criminal Ramos has been implicated in numerous terrorist attacks, including the Sabrek Line disaster and... It went on. Tony leaned her head back against the chair and rubbed her eyes, trying to press the pain from her skull. Carefully, she unfolded the newspaper, running her hands along the creases to smooth it out. She read the headline. Emancipation. Universal suffrage. Freedom for all. In a surprised reversal of previous law, the United States Congress unanimously approved the 15th Amendment to the Constitution, allowing all citizens, regardless of race, creed, or gender, to live free and take part in the government of the United States. Though similar measures have been proposed and defeated on multiple occasions going back over 40 years, the unanimous success of this attempt is largely attributed to pressure from the Guild. While this unexpected turnaround resulted in unrest and riots in many states, the Guild quickly stepped in to assist with the United States' peacekeeping efforts. We are pleased to welcome our American brethren to this new age. Guild Magister Jacinta Guillem Rosa Garcia is quoted as saying, While there is a price for freedom, the Guild believes that it is always worth paying. In these times of warfare and unrest, we must come together as a people, rather than allow arbitrary lines of race and gender to divide us. I can see your puppet strings, Marlowe, Tony muttered to herself. For both our sakes, I hope she's right. It's twenty years too late for Pa, but... Tony paused, feeling around the edges of that loss, waiting for the grief to overwhelm her. Instead, she found something else. A hope for some other little girl. He might grow up with a father because of something Tony had done. It didn't erase her guilt at having betrayed Ramos, but it did put it in perspective. She nodded to herself. 
Twenty years too late for me, but just in time for someone else. Just in time. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.